Welcome back. Episode three. I just wanted to say thank you so much for all the love and support I've gotten from so many of you. I've just been overwhelmed and this whole thing has really just been amazing. Before this episode, I just wanted to say a few things. One, you're going to notice, or perhaps I notice, I sound a bit choked up throughout this whole episode. Brian as you'll hear in the episode, was one of my dad's best friends and someone even I have called an uncle my whole entire life. And while talking about my dad, especially in the past tense, it really makes me choked up, kind of, it just kind of happened right now. It's something I'm still trying to understand, so perhaps that's why it shows in my voice. But I just wanted to say and hope that you can understand why that is happening. For those of you who don't really know me or don't know my story, I'm going to do an episode where I talk about myself and my life eventually. But one thing that I think I should point out is that my father passed away. And see, here's the choked upness again. My dad passed away in August suddenly. And yeah, it's been pretty rough since then. And although I love being with his friends and I love being with my family, sometimes that brings up, um, see, I'm saying, oh, my voice, it's a disaster over here, but just being real with you, it brings up some sad memories, I guess. So anyway, that's why my voice sounds a bit odd. I hope it doesn't affect your listening experience because Brian has so much good information to provide and I know that you guys will really enjoy it. So without further ado, here's Brian Koppelman. Well, what do you, if someone says to you, Brian Koppelman, what do you do? What do you say? I would just say now, you know, co-creator and showrunner of Billions. And then if they ask more, I would tell some of the other stuff. I'd say I have a podcast called The Moment with Brian Koppelman. I could also say I'm someone who's known Tyler Shields since she was born. Yeah, since the day we've been born, right? Yeah, literally the day you were born. Yeah, I could say that so too. 25 years. Well, I don't know if that's such a good accomplishment. But anyway, so the reason why I wanted you here today is because I wanted you to talk not just about your career, but not to be cheesy, but the moment, the shift that you had from what you were doing to going into what you're in now. Because I think that a lot of my friends and even myself, we're at that age where it's like, okay, I'm going to stick with what I'm doing and try to build up or go up, or I'm going to stop or quit and start something new. And I know so many people feel stuck in what they're doing now and stuff like that. So I wanted you to briefly talk about, you know, what happened. Because I know, did you ever wind up practicing law? I know you went No, um, I graduated from law school. And I was, um, so I went to law school at night. I was working full time, graduated law school. It's, I do think these moments in people's lives, especially as you're approaching some sort of a birthday that people think is significant. If you're a sentient person, or if you're an aware person, you, you, you might look at your life and because I think we always are looking at our lives, whether we're acknowledging it or not, whether we allow the front of our minds to, to see it or not, we are often looking and measuring, looking and seeing whether where we are 
links up with the ideal of where we'd like to be. So I think right, it's unhealthy to look at where we are compared to where other people are, but where we are compared to what the secret voice inside us that is telling us. your narrative self. Yes, that what your narrative self is saying you could be, right. you should be, you are. And that can change too, right, um, as you grow. But I got to a point where my and our Amy and my first child was born. And I always wanted to be the kind of father who would tell his kids that they could be anything they want to be. But I realized I wasn't living that life, that I wanted to be a writer, a storyteller, a filmmaker, and that I wasn't. That I was scared to do it, Did that I was worried I'd fail. All those things? Each I wasn't I wasn't exactly clear on which thing, but I knew I was supposed to be doing something else. And but more than that, what I felt was, and because I was someone who had tried to write middle of the night, couldn't finish stuff. Um, but I realized that if I allowed um, if I allowed myself to not do it, to not take the risk of doing it, if I allowed sort of being blocked to win, if I kept the creative impulse down, uh, it would die. And like any other kind of death, there's toxicity related to it. And I didn't want that to spread to the people that I loved. And I was like, I had a very clear moment, um, 29 and a half, sitting at my desk at work. And I was successful in what I did, but it wasn't making me feel fulfilled. And um, I had started smoking cigarettes. I never smoked cigarettes in my life. And I was sitting at my desk and I was like eating a cheeseburger and smoking a cigarette. And I was like, this isn't me. Right. Who am I? I have to figure it out. And that's when I started taking steps to very, uh, I, I made a real decision to take steps and, and change. And then I started, I, David Levine, my creative partner, lifelong best friend gave me the Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I read that book and I started doing these morning pages right. and that really sort that. of was a North that really pointed me in the right direction so that I was able to make a change. I'll say one thing though, that a mistake I think people make is when they make a change, they feel like they have to do a lot of drastic shit. The drastic stuff you have to do is like, keep your word to yourself to take steps every day to work with rigor, chasing your dream. But what I didn't do was quit my job. I was just going to say, did you quit your job? No, I just got up earlier. Right. I got up earlier in the morning and that's it. Yeah. And I was committed and I didn't go out a lot at night. Other but your than for focus work. was, did you like, did you still care about the work you were doing or? Well, it's an amazing, it's a great thing to ask. What happened was because I would spend these two hours in the morning writing and because I felt so alive doing that and I didn't feel thwarted, it actually made me better at the job because I wasn't miserable and bitter that I wasn't getting to try the other thing. Right. So then I'm doing the thing that I want to do. And I think it was helpful to me. And luckily, I it turned out I was able to do it. Like I had a knack for it. Dave and I were able to figure out how to write the script. But um, in the doing, and this has happened to me over and over, all you have to do is make some progress, is do some work. Said, you have to just do it. Like even with this, like I swear I've been talking about doing a podcast for two years and I don't know what's wrong with me. Like it's literally this easy, you know? And I just like stopped doing it. I think that also, I mean, now we'll get back to you. I think that I've always had so much pride. Like for some reason, I think I'm, I'm too cool or something to put myself out there and like email people and ask them for favors and do all this stuff. And now, now I have no problem. Like I'm emailing this person's sister. That's great. Yeah. Well, part of being like growing up is uh, learning not to really care about being cool. Yeah. And you have to put yourself out there. Like, yeah. You have yeah. to be willing to, you have to be willing to be rejected. Right. Because all that happens. Yeah. You have to fit, like be willing to, I don't think I've ever let myself fail at anything. 
I don't know. I mean, my dad always said to me, you can do whatever he wanted. He was working hard so I could do whatever I want. Then I graduated and I said I wanted to be a teacher. He said no. Then I... Well, what do you mean he said no? He said no. You should work at my company. I mean, this can get a whole other level. But he always, every time I got like a job or an opportunity, he would say, no, I want, you should be working for me. You can be making so much more money here. So he never, maybe this is why I finally started doing this. He never let me, or of course, I don't know, let me is the right word, but he never, he, although he said I should do whatever I want, he just wanted me to be working for him and being with him. It's hard to become your own person. Yeah. I think, especially and I feel with like, a larger than life figure like your father no, was. No, but also like not, I mean, he, the money, like he'd be like, why would you do that when you can make all this money here? And this is so interesting. And then he would tell me about the stuff. And I'm like, this isn't that interesting to me. Right. You know, and so that's why I think that I've had a hard time like finding my Well, a lot place. of people measure based on money especially no. where you grew up right so yeah so that's why i've kind of never did my own thing but i do think it's important here. to say not only have i known you since then but your father and i were like brothers yeah no i'm funny. saying for the purposes right. of this and i love you and your family we're all yeah, like family, family. I, no. so yes my uncle is the co-writer of billions right that's true though yeah yes that's what i would say i'm like anyway so two things um one you said that you weren't you weren't doing what you really want to do did your dad pushed you to go it was music that you were doing right yes i loved music no no one pushed me into it i loved music i was an a and r executive in the music business so i was finding talent and then making records but part of that job the part so that's the part i loved and i was good at that part um but there a lot of the functions of the job were exact like you had to be an executive and i didn't Not want creative. to do that i and my allegiance was always to the artists with whom I was working. And that's the world that I wanted to be in. And so the part of having to convince a promotion person to prioritize the record or marketing meetings, there were just aspects of it that didn't, I didn't feel alive. I didn't feel like I was tapping into the best part of myself. Cause that's really what we're talking about, about these kind of changes. And that's the problem with the way I think you were processing the conversations you had with your dad then which is you probably just didn't have the language to make the argument, not just like, hey, it seems like it'd be cool to do this, but like, I think I can become the best version of myself. Right. Right now, if I'm doing this, yes. Because when you're tapping into the part of yourself that feels the most alive, that feels the most like the platonic ideal of who Tyler is, then all your interactions become better. Oh my God. You're centered in a different way. And so that, and but for parents, like, um, your dad just wanted to protect, first of all. I think my dad just wanted, like. He wanted to be around you and no, he wanted to protect exactly. you. He wants to be around me. Like, my, I was my parents' life. Like, I always think about this. Like, everybody else in my family, like, Zachary had hockey. My sisters, one of them did gymnastics, the other one in tennis. Like, I was just, like, my parent. Like, my parents were, like, my, that was my responsibility. Like, I was there. That was my activity. Sure. Like, I went, couldn't even go away to college. Like, I went to NYU. I went to sleepaway camp. I came home. Like, I, like that, I couldn't do anything else. Like, right. my dad, it was insane. I was working for him. He would call me being like, Tyler, you need to get uptown. You need to get uptown by 10 o'clock. We have a, we have something important. I get there and he, I think I've told you this before for some reason. And he's like, okay, we're going to EAT with Mitzman. And like, that was a repetitive thing. Like it would just be brunch with his friends. You know, he just wanted to have me around, which is amazing. And I miss him so much. But now I feel 
But at the same time, it's funny because if he was alive right now and he knew what we were doing, he would be the happiest person in the world. Of course. And he would be emailing this out to every single person he knows. Of course. He, you know? Yes, he was very proud of you and he would be incredibly proud and into this whole thing. Parenting is hard and it's hard to make. It's what you have to keep in mind as a parent is what's best for the kid. But your emotions are so bound up in it that it's challenging. So it's challenging Especially for everybody. Age, like my, they, I'm, I would have had two kids by now. You know what I mean? Like I grew up with them. You were a little bit older when you had Sam. Twenty nine. Yeah, but right, I was twenty nine. Right. Your dad was twenty four, maybe when yeah. you were born. That's insane. Yeah. Like the twenty four year olds I know are still. It was like, crazy. I remember Amy and I going home after you were born and just being like, "Wow, they have a." <laughs> They have a daughter. Like we're all yes, because we were all so young. We right. were all so young. But that was that normal at that time for to be that young. I mean, they got married so young too. Right. Yeah, I guess they were pioneers. Okay. Um, back to this stuff. Um, oh, I was thinking about something when you were just talking before. Were you, so you literally were real like watching the people be creative, and that's what you wanted to do. So that must have like when you were in the like. Well, yeah, when, when I would work song. with a when I would work with a songwriter on their song, and I would like talk to them about the course of their song and why I felt like the rhyme scheme wasn't exactly right, or the way that I would talk to them was like as a fellow writer, but I wasn't, and I would never try to put ideas into their songs. But yes, my affinity was to them. My and and. Julia Cameron talks about it in the artist way. I was like a shadow artist because I was near them and around them, but I wasn't really practicing my art and what right. I wanted to do. And Amy, look, part of this is marrying the right person or not marrying the right person, I mean, but surrounding thing. yourself with the right people, right? It doesn't have to be a spouse, but I had people in my life who recognized that I had to try this stuff, who didn't, not only didn't try to talk me out of it, but were pushing me toward doing it because they were like, well, you love... You know movies by heart. You read all the time. You love to write. Like it was just clear the thing that I was supposed to be doing. I just had to pick up the mantle and fucking so do it. Did you write? So that's sometimes the hardest thing. Did yeah. you write prior to? I mean, I always could do. I knew you that said I could. Sometimes you would. I would write in the middle of the night. Sometimes where I always knew if I had to write something, I could write a couple paragraphs that would be kind of dazzling and effective. But it was unclear what was if I could finish anything, and I, I, um, I basically didn't have the courage to really put it out there until I got to this point. That right. point, which is so. I mean, I never realized that we have similarities, but I actually found like a week ago. I started writing a memoir called "My Not So Normal Life" like Good. three years ago, and I'm like, oh, plot twist! Right, <laughs> it gets worse. Um, not worse more strange but yeah i think that like sometimes it's just finishing it or you know starting it is the main thing but actually doing working i'd say it i said rigor before but it's true like it's setting up a way that you can do work you can work on the thing that you want to do the scary thing a little bit every day was amy writing at this point yeah was she all was she She's a novelist, you know, she's published three novels and wrote a movie that came out. Um, yeah, she was writing, but she wasn't writing yet. I don't think she had written her first novel yet, but yes, it was clear we were both writers, really. Um, so did you know that Rounders was gonna be the first thing or you just knew there was something in you, there was something there? 
Yeah, so I knew that I wanted to do it, but then I luckily, well, your dad and I were playing a lot of poker when I was in law school. We had this game going and um, I was very into poker. I was very into learning about it and reading about it. And um, and then I walked into an underground poker club and then I called Levine and I was like, I know. I left this poker club in the middle of the night and I was like, oh, now I know what we're going to write our first movie about. And then the two of us sat down. And, and how long did that take? We researched it for a while, like a year and a half or a year of research. But then once we started writing it, we wrote it in like four and a half months. And had Dave done anything? Dave had written, had finished writing a novel that hadn't come out yet or hadn't been published yet. And in college, and had written like a screenplay. And then, um, but together we wrote Rounders. That was the first thing we wrote together. Well, obviously that went really well. It was incredible. Yes, it was incredibly lucky. And um, actually, I heard on the way here, I was listening to, I was doing some prep and listening to your podcast with, I think, Bill Simmons. Yeah. And you had said that it didn't do well in theaters. And then it, is that what right. happened? Was yeah. Rotten Tomatoes and stuff out at that point? It was fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, but it wasn't like it got incredible reviews in the beginning. No. And then bombed in the theater. It was in the theater That's for three so weeks. And then hear. it became this super important, you know, people love the movie and it became, it really day. matters. People talk about it all the time. But it was a great lesson because I was able to process the idea that the short-term feedback doesn't matter. The short-term response commercially, you can't let that stop you. Not with a TV show. That's different though, right? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't focus on that stuff on the TV show either. Oh, really? You're not obsessed with that? Obsessed with ratings and stuff? No. You don't pay attention? I just make, I just, all I care about is we get to keep making it. No, I, the doing is the thing. I love making the show. I love writing the show. I love working with the actors. I love making the show. That's the thing that I like professionally live for. And as long as the show's doing well enough that we keep making the show, that's really what I How does it work? You find out after the season if it's going to be renewed. Mm -hmm. And is this the your favorite thing you've ever done? Creatively, yeah, the I Rounders, Solitary Man, this, Ocean's 13, the, this Jimmy Connors documentary we made, those are probably my favorite experiences. What about Knocker Yeah, this guys? is amazing. I love Knocker Around Guys too, inspired by your dad and his friends. Um, yeah, I, I, yes, of course. I Look, at each of these movies or TV shows that you make, you put so much of yourself into them. You don't look at them rationally. So of course I love knockaround guys. I love all the things that we've been able to make that really are Dave and me making them, you know? Um, the satisfaction of knockaround guys is that, you know, a lot of the sort of premise for that movie came from your dad and his friends and like, but really it's a, you know, as people know, your dad was a fantastic and fantastical storyteller. And so he would tell stories that either were or weren't true. Yeah, and then you would find out which parts were true and which parts weren't. And so he would tell about the predicament of some of his friends who were the sons of wise guys. And he would just sort of talk about that idea. But you'd find out, oh, well, some of that's right. And some of it, it was just in his head. Yeah. So then Dave and I had to go make it all up. Which but the idea better, of it, which is better, but the idea of it. Um, and the 500 fights thing came from something yeah. he said about Todd. Uh, who's, you know, your dad's like lifelong best friend or whatever, and who I love too. And then um, I talked to Todd and he was like, well, not exactly that, yeah, but like, here's what that sort too, of means. Because I told Todd that I, I constantly like pulled that up on YouTube. I'm like, this is the best scene, whatever. And what did he dad, say? Like, when TiVo came out, my dad had like, 
numerous different scenes that he was obsessed with. Like, he, I guess he thought it was a cool feature that you can just record like a little bit. So he had knock around guys, tiny dancer from Almost Famous, sure. America, like whatever, a few different ones. And I became obsessed with it too. Like we would just watch, it was so weird. We would just like lay in bed and watch scenes of movies. And I started showing people on YouTube. And then one day I thought about it. He's like, yeah, like it's kind of the situation. It's loosely based. I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not exact. Yes. It was more just the idea that, um, but that is a lot of like writing is a lot of research. You research, you talk to people, then you make it up. You, You try to get to the core of like what the emotional truth is. But you discard the facts because right. you're telling a fictional story. Right. And also, it doesn't need to be, you know. Yeah, you're trying to just get to the core of it. So whether Todd really said 500 fights or whether the thing is that he realized he was, become, you know, he had all these fights and then realized at the end of it, well, I know how to handle myself. And then people around him, though, started mythologizing him. And that's what we were so, right? A lot of what we were interested in is the way that we mythologize these kind of people in the culture. Right. So the way that your dad and his friends would mythologize Todd was as interesting to me as like whether Todd really did it or not. Yeah. It's like, why do we talk? Why is it that we celebrate? Yeah. The, you know, Who all knows? this stuff. Yes. But I guess, I mean, my dad probably should have wrote some more movies with all that was going on in that head. Helps you do more. Um, another thing that I realized about you and also Amy is that you guys are, how do I... I don't know the right word, but like intense people, like you think about, like I would describe myself as some like a big thinker. Like I talk about, I, I'm sure that you guys nitpick and really like talk about situations to the core. And I was wondering, did you go to therapy? Like when you were growing up, like, were you always that way? I didn't go to therapy till I was around this time that I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Was that? I never went to therapy till I was like 29, 28 or 29. So your parents did that? Were they like? They were not. Neither of my parents thought therapy was like a good thing. Really? Then when we were young. It's so interesting because like to me, I grew up with like, oh, of course you should be. Well, you grew up at a different time. Right. You grew up the child of people who understood that that was a good thing. Like the generation before us was not down with that really. Right. Like like your parents and my generation, our parents were not really proponents. I mean, your grandfather's a neurologist, so it's different, but most people weren't sort of of proponents of it. So since then, have you been going to therapy forever? Like I do. When I'm shooting the show, I don't go as often. But yes, I mean, I'm very interested in all that stuff. And do you do you guys like have these kind of conversations with your kids or like which? Like I don't know, intense conversations about like life. Like what is yes. life? Like because like you know, some people are not like us at all. Like in this way that they don't really talk about things to the core. Like you know, yes, people go home and just talk to their parents. Like, how was your day? Good. Like. My life has never really... I mean, it's funny. That's just valuable too, right? Just checking in. Like Anna and I, I walked her to school every morning and she's a, a freshman in college now, but her whole childhood, starting like fourth grade, she went to school five blocks away and I basically walked her every morning and even just the five minutes to be together. is so valuable because oh, it sets up. I know what's going on in your life. You know what's going on. And then that allows you to have heavier conversations about everything. But yeah, the four of us are incredibly close. Amy and me and our kids are super close and have always, it's that's been the priority of our lives. Right, that's everything. Yeah, I mean, you've clearly done such a good job raising them. How do you think that you, do you have any like tricks? How do you think that you, do I think mean, you just got lucky? Like I, also your parents too. Like I look at Jenny, she's created like an amazing career for herself. Stacy now with this bunny eyes thing and you, like your parents did a great job of, 
our parents were really good at, um, my mother was very good at sort of making sure that I knew that I had to define myself and be my own person and find success in my own way and work hard. Like, that's really amazing. Cause a lot, you came from a, you know, fortunate family. I did. I, I always say the thing is I, I, anyone who doesn't have to pay for their own college and come out of, and oh, wow. anyone who doesn't have to come out of college with debt is, is set up to succeed right. in the world. If you can get through a college and you leave college and you don't have debt, you're given an unbelievable head start. But I think part of it in terms of us and our kids is that we made a, we're, of course, we're lucky that everybody's like healthy and that our kids are good, you know, like, like, um, can function in the world. But the conscious things were to try really hard not to be selfish, to try really hard not to make, once you have kids, your priority can't be on your own good time. Priority has to be on right. being there for the kids. And even though this sounds like very basic and very almost trite, it's hard to do in real life because you have to say no to a lot of stuff. Like, you know, Amy and I didn't go out with all the people. Well, I wouldn't either. <laughs> right. But like, so there was a crew of people and I liked them all, but we didn't go out a lot other than work. Like, so my work is a lot of crazy hours, but we were home. Right. No, I think that's we were home with our that's kids. What I, I think that that's what I would want to be doing. Though. We never partied on weekends either. Yeah. Like we just weren't um, a part of that whole thing. Were you like that before? No, it's not. It wasn't. That wasn't so. That idea going out, getting fucked up, was yeah. just never such a big part of our lives. Right. Doesn't mean I've never had a night or gotten drunk no, or. Of course not. I mean, of course you probably have. And yeah. Also, but enjoy some wine and whatever. But, but going but out now is crazy. Like I, on two thousand, the millennium, we went to Vegas. We like some elaborate trip with all my parents' friends, and I'm looking back on it. I'm like, those people, like I, they were partying you know and we were all there it's so weird right and like so we would get invited on a lot of that stuff and we never went once right because do you think that has an effect on your kids yes today? yes i do probably i think that probably in the sense of like thinking like what's normal do you know what i mean like not you don't need to have these big but, but thinking about priority yeah exactly right thinking about what matters right but look also people should be able to have a good time like i'm not I'm not critical of it either. Like a lot of those people have great kids. Oh my God, and amazing. You and your brother and sisters yeah, are right, awesome. So right. like we'll there's a lot okay. of, there are a lot of ways to get there. But for Amy and me, it just seemed that the, the simpler we were able to make life for all of the four of us, the better. Right. The less complicated, less complicated or less complex and sort of like, well, we're together and this is what matters and we're present here. And a lot of the superficial stuff is not important. doesn't matter. And you have to recognize that. So the, the sort of typical societal pressures didn't really affect us. But I would say also, if I'm being honest, because of what I did for a living, probably I, I had a level of status that allowed me not to give a shit. Right. You were just cooler than anyone ever. <laughs> it, I was, yeah. no, you know, no, I never no. felt that way, but I'm saying if you're right. like, one of the reasons I could not care is it actually goes back to just doing work you care. So one of the things is because I chose work, whether successful or not, that made me feel really alive. And like I was accessing the best part of myself meant I didn't have gaps. I didn't have 
this hole that needed right. to be filled by doing a bunch of other st and stuff. I was just about to say that then, like, if you never left your original career, then I'm sure then you would have probably wanted to get drunk yeah, and go out more. Exactly, but I, I because I because I was doing something that mattered to me, and Amy was doing something that mattered to her, and the, those things made us feel alive and great. It it allowed the rest of it to appear as it was. Um, the idea of getting outside of ourselves like that just didn't matter. It didn't appeal. The to thing us. is with kids, like I'm also so fascinated with having your kids like be hungry like hungry in the sense like for you know to do things on their own because as you said before like yes a lot of these people's kids my parents friends kids are amazing amazing people and some of them have worked harder than you know anybody but then there's some other kids that just think that they're gonna like take over the family business and you know everything should be handed to them like how do you think that you make your allow your kids to one feel comfortable enough that they can do whatever they want but also like push them to you know i mean that just goes right back to um that's a very i think specific things like Not what you praise your kids for when they're really young so if you praise them for their work ethic and celebrate them for working harder than anybody else and reward that i think it just imbues in them the sense of pride from hard work right and um, and then if you stress the right things, if you stress that you feel good when you put in a really good day's work, right. I think and that really see, helps. They I think saw it's you basic. guys. Yes, they saw us. I mean, I do think seeing us go, I'm not going out tonight. I'm going to go to bed at nine because I have to get up. It's like, like to me, that's I all would I want do to, that. That's what I want to do every day. Right. I would do that, you right. know. And so maybe that's the thing. I, right. My kids are great, but I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. Like I always. How do you do? Like your kids are really amazing. Like I'm not don't know them that well anymore because we're all getting older but every time i've seen them they're like amazing smart. they work really they're both super hard workers very smart very focused and very giving good people so part of that is just that's the way they were born right. and then part of that is amy is so sweet and part of that is i think we did stress the right things and okay amy for a second because that was just so cute when you said that i was yesterday when i was listening to that same podcast, I think, or maybe a different one of yours, you said something about Amy and like your love for Amy is unreal. I right? think it's so special. It's amazing. Have you, did you have any other serious relationships before her? Like, do you like, I mean, really serious ones like that you thought that maybe there was a person that you were going to wind up with? Like, I mean, I, oh, I did. I, the right I had a couple of other girlfriends. I had one serious girlfriend in my freshman year of college. Um, and then I had another girlfriend in college who was also great. But no, from the moment I met Amy, I knew I was going to marry her someday uh, because I'd never seen anyone who was that kind, that smart, and that beautiful. And I was like, I have to somehow make this person be the person I raise kids with. It was just a strange and amazing thing. And then we didn't go out for like seven years. And what? when we started going out, then she moved in that night. Like we went out finally on a real date. And then she moved in that night and never left. That's what, with Evan, I met him, my boyfriend, and then my dad was like, oh, come to Nantucket. I'll get you your own hotel room. Um, I, I, you know, you got to come. I'm like, well, I have this new guy I'm with. And my dad's like, bring him. It's fine. You guys are going to have a different hotel room. So we get off the plane. My dad meets us at the airport. He's never picked me up from any airport my whole life. And we get in the car. I'm like, oh, so are we going to, like, where's our hotel? Because they had a house. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 you don't need to stay in a hotel. You'll stay in the house. It's a three-bedroom house with us. 
So Evan met my dad like the second day and yeah, now it's been like three years. Wow. But anyway, I think, yeah, when you know, you know, but that sounds like that Amy was probably the most important decision of For your sure. life. That's no everything. No like, doubt about it. The kids it. seeing that relationship is probably so important too. It is. We're, we're like, real, super respectful of each other. We don't right. lie to each other. Having real respect. Not yes. like not talking badly about never, each other. Never, never. Yeah, you're lucky. Besides Amy, you've talked to so many, so many interesting people. Who would you say is the most interesting person you've ever come across? Not just from your podcast, just in life. Oh, wow. I always ask people this question. I don't know why. I well, different people for different, different people no, for just different like reasons. Over, of course. They're... Um, my real answer, and it's corny, is my kids. Like, that's the real answer to me because of the way in which I know them and because of what they're interested in. They're both great writers and... I do think that's like the truest um, answer. But yes, on the podcast, I only have people on that I'm fascinated by. And so I'm always talking to really compelling, fascinating people. Okay, well, do you have any ones with your kids? Have you had them on? No, Anna, when I had Amy Schumer on, I think Anna came to the studio. Um, and Sammy was on one once when I was doing a Q&A podcast and he asked the questions. But no, I haven't. So anyone that hasn't listened to the podcast... Who would you say is like... Well, it depends. Like if, like I think suddenly because I mentioned Anna, Sarah Kay, the poet, stand, comes to mind or Salman Rushdie or um, Alex Cornishelli, the chef. It's if I have a very diverse roster of guests on the podcast. And if you look down the roster of guests, I think yeah, you'll find... Your hat. That guy was really interesting. Too. Oh, yeah. Morgan Stern's. Nicholas Morgan Stern. The podcast. What was the main reason for starting that? Like, you're, you have so much that you're doing. Why? Well, I started four years ago or a little longer now because I'm fascinated by these moments as you talk about it. Right. These inflection points in people's lives. How they process really high, really low moments. And I love having these long conversations and really diving into what makes somebody able to tap into the most creative part of themselves. And I think that's because it was so hard for me to do it. So I'm always interested in bringing that out from other people. It's also like the perfect excuse. Like if you want to hang out with someone. Yeah, it's great. Put a microphone there. It's like instead of being like, hey, you want to go for lunch? It's like, who are you? You're like, oh, just come here. That's right. It's really good for that reason. All right, Bri, I love you. I love you. I love you so much. Thank you. 